Hello, and welcome to the Selling St. Pete podcast, your go-to resource for all things real estate and all things St. Pete. I'm your host, Nicole Sanchez. Hello, and welcome to the Selling St. Pete podcast. I'm Nicole Sanchez, your host, and my guest today is Dr. Arnold Bogarty with Bogarty Financial, and we are going to be talking about credit restoration. Thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure joining you. Thank you for having me. Before we get started, I'd love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, absolutely. So, um, like you said, my name is Dr. Arnold Bogarty. I'm 38 years old, moved to Tampa in 2015. Prior to moving to Tampa, I spent 16 years serving our country in the United States Special Forces. And in case you guys kind of don't know what that is, um, I just pretty much got paid to do bad things to bad people. But unfortunately, in that line of work, sometimes bad things happen to you. In my last deployment to Afghanistan, I was shot three times in the chest. But I always tell people you have no choice when God's going to send your blessing. And God actually sent me mine when I got shot. I met a young lady who introduced me to business. Fast forward, you know, five years. Um, I've been in business now, and it's been a true blessing. And um, why credit restoration? Well, credit restoration really came to the forefront when I was... um, when I went over to USF, um, I realized that there were a lot of good people that didn't have access to capital because of their credit score. And while over there trying to achieve my doctorate, I interviewed everyone in my doctoral class. And a lot of the time, what kept them from actually making money because they didn't have credit qualified customers. So I saw it as an opportunity not only to um, help myself and my family, but help others as well. I can relate to that. Um, when I went to college, I got this little plastic card given to me from a company that said, you know, you can put money on it and or buy things and not have to pay right then mm-hmm. and then pay off, you know, down the road. And I didn't realize how detrimental interest could be until it felt like a noose around my neck. And, you know, I was able to dig my way out of that, but it was a long, arduous road. And that's why I'm so passionate about financial literacy and teaching people Hopefully not to make the mistakes that I made because, you know, it can be devastating to, you know, when you make the wrong choices. Um, And sometimes you get in so far that it takes a really long time to work your way out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, today we're going to be talking about credit restoration. And I think it's important to do for several reasons. One, I think that there are a lot of myths and misconceptions about credit in general, not just your credit score, but Mm -hmm. how the whole system works. And I'd love to dispel those myths. Um, Two, more and more companies are utilizing credit scores. It used to be, you know, just using them when you're buying a home or maybe buying a car, but now insurance companies are using the scores. Um, The military, employers are using that to determine candidates' eligibility. And um, when you look at the overall financial picture of our country, you know, the U.S. is $22 trillion in debt. Um, That breaks down to $68,500 per citizen or um, over $183,000 per taxpayer. That shows that we need financial literacy because clearly we're not able to manage our debt um, in in a manageable way. And so that's what we're here to talk about today. So um, 
What makes up a credit score? Well, there are a few categories, but five main um, categories that make up your credit score. The first one is credit history. That makes up 35% of your score. So you wanna make sure you're paying your bills on time. I advise all of my clients, listen, if you cannot pay your bills on time, at least reach out to the creditor. A lot of creditors will help you as long as the communication stays open. Do not bury your head in the sand and not communicate because if you go 30, 60, 90 days late, that is detrimental because that's 35% of your score. Um, the next part is capacity amount owned. This is your DTI. You want to keep that under 30%. Now, I know there's times to where, as let's say you have a credit card that has a $1,000 limit, and you may, need, you may need to go over that $300 threshold, but you want to make sure that you're getting that back because that is 30% of your score. So don't take on too much that you can't handle, that you can't pay. And DTI stands for debt to income debt ratio. Debt to income so ratio. the amount of debt that you have in comparison to the income. To the money that you make. Yeah. Because once you go over 30%, creditors look at you as a risk or look at you as desperate, meaning you're not living within your means. Um, the next is your length of credit. All right, that's 15% of your credit score. Now the old adage back in the day, I can tell you, my mother told me when I used to get into credit card debt when I was young, she used to say, hey, go ahead, get that credit card, cut it up, close the accounts. Well, that's one of the worst things you can do because that's 15% of your score. So what you wanna do is just pay that down under 30%. And if it's not a card that you're using, actually pay it under about 9%. You wanna leave a little bit of a balance on it to show that it's active, but you wanna get it as low as possible. Maybe fill up a gas tank or something like that. Be sure you're paying that off. Uh, the next is new credit. You know, if a lot of people don't or they're scared to use their credit, well, that's just as bad as having bad credit. You want to go out there and use your credit, but you don't want to open up accounts that necessarily you can't pay. All right, that's 10% of your score. And last but certainly not least is your types of credit. Those are installment loans versus revolving. Installment is something that you have every single month, like a car payment or a house payment. Revolving is credit cards because it's changing, and that's what we consider revolving. So that's what makes up your credit score. And I have heard people who have new credit cards and don't use them and then they see the balances lowering or the amount that their credit available. If they don't use it over a period of time, the company will say, okay, well then we're not going to make that amount available. So that impacts your debt to income ratio because you don't have as much available credit. Absolutely. So how often do credit scores change? Well, your credit score changes pretty much every month. A lot of the time people will go on, let's say Credit Karma, which I really don't advise. They have a Vantage. They show your Vantage score, not your FICO score. Um, but your credit changes pretty much every month. Um, once a reporting date happens, when the creditors report to the credit company, they recalculate and your credit changes. So you'll see scores you know, even as early as every 15 days as far as the changes on your credit. Okay, and how often do you recommend checking your credit? Well, people check their bank accounts every day, all right? Now, I wouldn't say check your, your credit every day, but you at least want to check it every quarter for mistakes. Okay. That's how, because a lot of the time, there are people or there are companies that put things on your credit that may not be yours and that you can go ahead and dispute and remove. So you want to make sure you're checking your credit at least four times a year. I actually had that happen one time. I was applying um, for uh, a tenant application in Wisconsin, and the landlord brought to my attention that there was a judgment against me. And I looked on my credit report, and the person didn't even have the same name as me. I have no idea how that erroneously wound up 
on my credit report. And thankfully, um, that was really the only blemish at the time. So they, you know, let me, they approved the application, but it took a good six months to get that removed from my credit. You're right. And listen, 80% of credit reports out there have inaccuracies. And the Fair Credit Reporting Act of 1971 passed by Congress gives us the right as consumers to dispute any and all negative items on our credit report for accuracies. So you'll be surprised when you look at your credit report if an address isn't right, if a name is spelled wrong. All right, You have the right to go ahead and dispute that in order to remove it because that digital resume that we call a credit score impacts your life tremendously. The average person pays anywhere from $250,000 to a million dollars in high interest rates because of a score. And a lot of time it can be avoidable because it may not be your fault. It may be just mistakes put in your credit report that happens quite often. So let's break that down a little bit. Let's say that you are buying an automobile and what does the interest rate look like for a person who has good credit, which would be, what, 750 yeah. mm-hmm. versus someone who has, say, a 580 well, score? Well, what I would like to do is use myself for an example. Um, when I was in the military, we had to keep our credit pretty good, but we didn't have to keep it at that 750 mark. And so I purchased a vehicle that was about $32,000, but my score was around a little bit about a, a little over 600. Well, I paid 17%. you know, on that vehicle, which my car payment was around about $700. And if you take it now that I have well over $750, I was able to buy a $120,000 vehicle and my payment was only $850 Mm -hmm. because I got a 3% interest rate. And so you want to think about the differences between how credit can work. That's the difference between you getting something you need necessarily, finding something that you want. And so credit um, definitely pays a huge difference with that score. Right. That was... Five, more than five times the amount of interest. Absolutely. 3% compared to 17%. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, I get this a lot as a real estate agent. Will I be penalized for shopping around for the best interest rate? Because I have people that want to talk to multiple mortgage lenders to see what rate they're offering. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say you'll be penalized for talking to multiple people. Now, if you do give permission to go ahead and run your credit, then yes, it will penalize you. For every inquiry, or every time someone sees or checks your credit worthiness, it's gonna dock you about three to five points for each one. And so you wanna do your research on who you wanna go with first, and then go with that person um, when you're shopping around for a home. Is there any stipulation that if it's done in a short, certain period of time, the companies recognize that you are shopping rates? and? No. no. Companies look at inquiry as an inquiry. Okay. And so if you're going and you're trying to purchase a home and let's just say the lender or whoever you're using goes and shops your credit around, well, they'll shop it around, this, let's say, 10 different people. Mm-hmm. And then that'll come back. And so your score will be you know, negatively affected the next time you go apply for credit. So if you're doing it right at that point, then no, it really won't because it doesn't have time to calculate. Okay. But once you get further down the line, let's say that next month, yeah, you will see a decrease in your credit simply because they were shopping around your credit. But if you're talking to a lender on Monday and then someone on Tuesday and maybe a third person on Wednesday. No, it won't, it won't affect your score okay, you so know, in that shorter period of time. Okay. And then... I thought it was interesting, you talked about Credit Karma, and there are certainly a number of consumer websites where you can go and check your credit, but the credit number that you see on those websites 
isn't going to be the same that a, a car dealer will see or a lender will see if you're looking to buy a home or a credit card company will see if you're applying for credit. Why is that? Well, th you have different scores for different industries. Um, you have a car score, all right, you have your FICO score, you have an insurance score. And these are calculated differently, and that's just the way the different industries do it because they know their risk, and so they know what they're looking for, and they recalculate your score in that way. And so the best way to know your score is to go through your bank, all right? Your bank will give you at least one credit report each year, but also you can go to annual report, annualcreditreport.com. They will go ahead and give you, I believe it is two credit reports that are pretty much accurate, and it's all three. When you go to other sites, let's say Credit Karma, you know, they only give you two two scores, and I believe it's your TransUnion and your, um, and your Equifax. They don't give you your experience score. And then it's your Vantage score and not your FICO score. Vantage scores tends to be higher than FICO, but most creditors use your FICO score when determining if they're going to give you that loan. Okay, so lenders, car dealers, they're looking more at the FICO score, yes. not at the Vantage not score. Not at the Vantage. But Vantage is what you see on a lot of consumer sites. Absolutely, and so that's why um, a lot of my business partners um, that work with um, homes or cars, they always say, yeah, we have people coming in and they're saying, well, my credit karma says I'm at a 630, mm -hmm. but they're really at a 540 or 550 because they're looking at the Vantage and only taking into account two of the bureaus. Okay. And how do the, the different credit bureaus, how are they different from each other? Why are there three different credit bureaus? Well, obviously, you can't have one credit bureau have a monopoly. And so also you have the different credit bureaus that deal with different regions. Like Experian is the largest of the credit bureaus. They deal with all the United States. Then you have TransUnion and you have Equifax, which are smaller. Now, they do not communicate with each other. And so here's a great example that I use quite a bit. Let's say I own Bogarty Furniture here in Tampa. Well, only Bogarty Furniture here in Tampa, I'm not obligated to report to any of the credit bureaus, but definitely not all three. So who am I going to report to? I'm going to report to whoever deals with the Southeast. I'm not going to deal with the other two. And so that's why your scores are, um, are um, not on par all the time. When you don't have the same score. And they can fluctuate even hundreds of points um, because of who's, depending on who's reporting and what they're reporting to those bureaus. Is there a cost for a business to report to those credit? Not at all. Okay. There isn't. Now, what becomes costly for a company is if you go ahead and dispute it and get it removed and they try to put it back. And then it becomes costly to them. That's why once you remove an item from your credit report, a lot of time it doesn't go back, especially if it's a collection account because it's not worth it to that collection agency to go ahead and put it back because now they know that it could be removed and it may not even be yours. And so that takes me to another point. So let's say a person had a bill go to collections and now they're getting calls from a collection agency. Do you have any um, advice on what they can do? Because technically they haven't done any business with that collection agency, right? The, the um, balance was with a, another company. It was with the original creditor, absolutely. So you have to realize that companies insure your loans. And so what they do, they know that they're gonna get their money. And so what they do is they sell to collection agencies for pennies on the dollar. Now you do not have a contract with that collection agency, therefore you're not obligated to pay them. That's why they call you five, six, seven times a day. Now here's the trick, once you answer the phone and you verify that debt, 
now you're obligated to go ahead and pay that collection agency. So what you want to do is you don't you never ever verify your debt. You do not owe ABC Collection who bought the account from let's say Bank of America. Mm -hmm. But once you go ahead and um, verify that debt, then you can be on the hook in most states in order for that debt to whereas they can go ahead and put it on your credit report, keep it on your credit report, and then try and get you to go into a payment arrangement with them. Okay. So let's talk about some of the, the myths of credit. Okay. Um, number one, debt is debt, and not all debts are equal. Well, if you could be a little more specific on that question when you say debt is debt and not all debt is equal. So for instance, um, debt from a mortgage versus debt from a credit card. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you think about debt from your mortgage, is weighted a lot different because a lot of the time that is your largest monthly expense so it's going to be weighted a lot higher than let's say you being a little late on a credit card bill and so you want to make sure house payments car payments those with larger balances that you make sure you're paying on time because they will negatively affect your score a lot worse than let's say you not paying a revolving account let's just say a credit card a little bit late okay and um, number two, checking your report will hurt your score. No, it will not. Now, when you're having your credit run as far as an inquiry, yes, that will hurt your score. But there are a lot of websites out there right, that will allow you to go ahead and check your score. Now, they may try and sell you something while doing it, but around the time, it's about right. You know, you may be off a few points, but if you, let's say, go to Credit Karma, you know, you may be off 10, 15 points, but typically it's right around where your score is. Okay. Uh, myth number three, closing a credit card will help your score. No, it will not. Yeah. Now, there is a caveat to that. Now, if you have nine credit card accounts out there, then maybe it is a good idea for you to go ahead and close a few, pay them off and close. But if you have two or three credit cards, that's removing trade lines from your credit report. You want to have as many positive trade lines as possible. So what you want to do is go ahead and pay those accounts down to under 30%, typically under 9 if you're not going to use them, and that will help increase your score. But by closing those credit card accounts, it will negatively affect your score. So let's say the instance you have 9 credit cards, mm -hmm. and some are department stores, yep. some are um, credit card companies, some are... Um, I don't even know an, a, another type secured card let's mm -hmm. say which ones would you recommend canceling well I would cancel the ones that you have the higher interest rates on one a lot of credit card companies now are offering rewards and so you want to keep those open that best benefit what you have going on the cards that you never use go ahead and cancel them especially if they're maybe a department store card a lot of department stores are going on the business anyway now so you may have a Sears card well that's not doing you no good right now um, and so you want to go ahead and close those accounts, but you definitely want to keep some of those revolving accounts open. I always tell my clients three to four revolving accounts. Okay. Those are the trade lines and have a good mix. Okay. Um, myth number four, there is only a single credit score. We talked about that. Yeah, we that. talked about that. Yeah, you have your Vantage and your FICO. Yep. Those are the main two. Myth number five, only low-income people have bad credit. Absolutely not. I have helped service now over 5,200 clients in the past 18 months. And you'd be surprised how many multi-millionaires or even high six-figure earners I have are clients because they don't understand how credit works. Mm -hmm. They make a lot of money, but maybe they won't pay their bills on time. Or maybe their debt-to-income ratio is so high. Mm -hmm. And so, no, that's absolutely not. That's not true at all. And I can echo that sentiment from a real estate business. Um, a lot of professionals come out of college 
with multiple degrees yeah. and a, a, a lot of student loan debt, and they have high incomes, but have maybe hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars in student loans. Mm -hmm. So you know they are managing debt, and sometimes that can impact um, their their credit score because of that debt to income ratio. Yep, and most lenders now they they look at your credit score. All right, but your debt to income ratio is weighted just as much or even higher than your credit score now mm -hmm. because they know credit scores, that could, that's mistakes that can be there. But when they see how much debt you have relative to how much you're bringing in, you can have a 750 credit score. Mm -hmm. But if you're only making fifteen, dollars $20,000 a year, but you're spending you know, 12 of it, then they're not going to loan you the money. They're not going to give you that loan. Right. Um, number six, better job equals a better score. Absolutely not. And we just talked about that. Mm -hmm. if, you know, if you make eighty thousand dollars a year, mm -hmm. but you're spending seventy thousand dollars, you're probably not going to have a great credit. Score. Absolutely right. It's paying your bills on time, keeping that debt to income ratio low. Uh, number seven: Married couples have joint credit reports. Absolutely not. Now, married couples can be co-buyers, you know, on different right. accounts. Yep. And then that will report to both of your scores. But no, each individual with a social security number has a different score. And I can say from a home buying perspective, when you have joint borrowers, they will defer to the person with the credit that needs the most improvement mm -hmm. or the lower score because you can't you know, rely on that person with the high score. You're absolutely right. Um, Myth number eight, paying debts erases them from your credit report. No, absolutely not. And so a lot of the time people think that, hey, I'm going to go get my tax return or I have a large sum of money coming in and I go pay off that debt or I just pay it off. It doesn't erase it from your score. It's still there, especially if you were ever late on it. Just because you, were, just because you pay off a debt doesn't erase the fact that you were late on it at a time. So it can stay on your score up to seven years. That was, my, that was going to be my question. How long does yes. that happen? Up to seven years. They can keep that on your score. Now, being that you pay the debt, the debt has no, is not in danger of being sold. Mm -hmm. And so that debt will eventually come off. But a quicker way to do it is just go ahead and dispute it. Mm -hmm. Then companies will go ahead and remove it from your credit report. Okay. Uh, myth number nine, credit is impossible to get if you don't already have it. No. Now, when you're... 18 and you're finally out on your own. There are a lot of ways that I instruct my clients on how to build their credit. One, if your parents or someone that you know has good credit, they can put you on, let's say, a debit, I mean, a credit card to where now you're an authorized user. Now you have no rights to that card, but if they're paying it on time and they're trustworthy, that will help you build your credit as well. Also, getting a secured card. Secure cards are one of the fastest ways to build your credit. There, you're using your money. And how a secure card works, let's say you go into a financial institution, you give them, let's say, $500. They give you a Visa card that has $500 limit on it. You use it and you pay it off on time. That's going to build your credit as well. And there are some communities, I know, I don't want to be stereotypical, but quite a few immigrant communities that don't rely on credit, you know, that tend to use cash more often. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that definitely is a tip for those communities that want to buy perhaps a home and, and utilize a mortgage or a car loan um, and to establish credit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are definitely a lot of communities that don't trust banks, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. So they'd rather borrow from each other. Now, your capital may be limited, 
and you don't have as many resources, but you're right, 10% of people are credit invisible, mm -hmm. you know, meaning that they don't have credit or do not utilize the credit system. Yeah. Um, and then myth number 10, the government owns the credit bureaus. Absolutely not. The government has no, I mean, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian have no government authority whatsoever. They get, they're private companies that get paid in order to sell your information. So the government has nothing to do with what your credit score is. Good to know. Um, myth number 11, paying cash for everything can help a credit rating. No. If you're paying cash, you can't get rated. Yeah. Typically what I find in my business, I'm pretty sure that you do, when people say they pay cash for everything, meaning they have bad credit. Mm -hmm. All right, Because people know you'd rather utilize the capital system out there. And that goes into myth number 12, debit cards can help credit reports and scores. Absolutely not. Because your banking account isn't tied, isn't tied to, to it. the credit report. Um, number 13, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, bad credit doesn't impact candidates getting hired. Bad, can I mean, bad credit actually does in a large way. Companies now are looking at trustworthiness. Mm -hmm. And if you can't manage your finances, then a lot of the time it looks bad that you can't be trusted with you know, other things as well. And so companies, your companies, your companies absolutely. So imagine you being a comptroller, but you have bad credit. Mm -hmm. So companies are checking your credit. Military checks your credit for clearances. I mean, I just did a, an interview with a, a matchmaker. I was uh, repairing her credit. And for her to match up individuals, credit is part of the thing, you know. And so credit is important. And a lot of jobs, even the VA now, they're checking your credit mm -hmm. as far as before they go to give you a job. So there's a matchmaker yeah. that when she's pairing couples, she runs, runs the credit. Runs their credit. Wow. Because, I mean, think about it. Um, it's so funny. You're going into a relationship. I'm not saying that, you know, that's the end all or that's the deal breaker. But if you're coming in with a 750 and that person come in with a 500, just know there's going to be some issues if you guys decide to go ahead and purchase. Well, they say what of the divorce rate, at least 50% of divorces is due to finances. Due to finances, you're right. So that's... It's a huge stress level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, myth number 14, your debt to income ratio affects your credit score. It does. And I know we spoke about that, but that's 30% of your credit score. Yeah. Very important. And then the last um, myth, the more debt you have, the lower your score will be. And that goes back to your debt to income ratio. Now, what you spoke before, good debt, you know, and there's obviously, you know, bad debt. Um, when you own a home and you're paying it on time, that's considered a good debt, mm -hmm. all right, because you're paying nothing, you're paying it on time. But if you're maxed out on your credit cards, well, that's considered bad debt. Right. And if you have too many accounts, that's considered bad debt as well. Right, because when you pay off a home, then that asset turns into a liability. Mm -hmm. So if you have a million dollar home, you've been paying it off, you know, not only is your debt to income ratio, it may not change until your home is paid off, but once it is paid off, now you have a million dollars in assets you at do. least. You do. Whereas with a credit card, once it's paid off, that's it. You just, you just get the joy of having it paid off. Yeah, and you have that balance that you can use again. Right. But that's pretty much it. Right. Okay, I think that, oh, one, one other question. Um, does renting or leasing a home affect a credit score? Well, typically, no, unless you get into trouble. What I mean by trouble is you stop paying and then you get evicted. Then that's on your credit. 
Now there are ways, other companies that can go ahead and um, place positive trade lines on your credit report for your rental history. But other than that, if you're not into an agreement with a company that can do that, then it does not affect your score. So if you're renting for 10 years, all you're doing is helping to pay off someone else's debt. Right. You're not helping your credit score at all. Right. But for someone in that situation that is now looking to buy a home and they have a good rental history, mm -hmm. there is a way for them to utilize that good history as a part of their credit score? There is. There are, there are companies out there. I know uh, my company, Bogarty Financial, we help clients as well. We'll put positive trade lines on their credit report. And there are a few other companies that will do that as well. Great. Is there anything that I, I missed? No, I do appreciate what it is that you're doing, and I appreciate podcasts like yours, because education is key. Financial literacy is key. The reason why we have $22 trillion in debt is because people don't know how interest rate rates work, mm -hmm. how money works in general. Because if we did, believe it or not, the banking industry would go under. If everyone got charged 3% or 5%, it's the 17%, the 23%, the 29 percenters all right, that keeps you know, the banking industry going. But so financial literacy is key and education is key. But I, I tell my students over at USF, I always let them know, listen, education isn't power or knowledge isn't power. It's the application of knowledge right. that is power. And so just learning how finances work, you know, learning how your credit works will save you a lot of money and a lot of heartache you know, in the present and in the future yeah. going forward. You know, I think it's unfortunate that financial literacy isn't a subject that we teach in schools. Mm -hmm. And often we learn from our parents and we learn from our friends and we have a tendency to run in the same financial circle as our friends and right. family. And so if you were blessed to be born in a wealthy family, chances are you learn about how to be wealthy. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, Unfortunately, you oftentimes fall into the same trap of financial woes mm -hmm. as your friends and family. And, um, you know, I, and I know you, it's a passion as well, want to try to educate and empower people to, to not feel bound by the financial circumstances in which they came, but to give them an opportunity to improve them if that's what they so choose to do. Absolutely. There's, there's, there's hope. Mm -hmm. A lot of people feel like, you know, when they get in a financial rut, that there's no hope. And it's through education. It's through learning. You know, I always tell my father was a construction worker. He taught me how to be a good man, how to raise a family, but he only could teach me what he was taught. He couldn't teach me financial literacy. Right. Unfortunately, I had to learn through the school of hard knocks and through meeting people. Then I learned tips and strategies on order to build, get myself out of debt. And then I started my company, Bogarty Financial, to whereas now I help other people get out of debt as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I, I found it really eye-opening to see how banks operate and the amount of money they make you know, on any loan. When a bank gets $1,000, they can then turn that into 10 times Absolutely. as soon as they get it and then charge interest on it mm -hmm. and late payment fees. And so, you know, I used to feel bad for banks if a home, you know, went into foreclosure or a, a, a borrower wasn't able to, to pay. But then knowing how much they are leveraging that, 
I don't feel so bad. <laughs> yeah, trust me, there, there are no banks really going out of business. You know, once you put, you go put $1,000 in Bank of America, that money's not staying in that branch of right. Bank of America. All Love right, that's investors. going into the financial system. Yep. And so they're going to go ahead, you know, and make 150 even up to, depending on how long you leave your money in the bank, 3,000% on the amount of money that you have in the bank. So you think you're getting 1% back, which you're lucky if you do. You're not going to get that back on the checking account anyway. Right. The right. bank is making a ton of money. So once you guys learn financial literacy, make it an importance. And then when you learn, teach it. Exactly. That way, you know, the next generation won't find themselves in the same predicament that a lot of us are in. Yeah. As they say, give a man a fish, you mm -hmm. feed him for, for a, a day. day. Teach, teach a man a fish, fish. absolutely. Yeah. Feed him for a lifetime. Yep. Thank yeah. you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you can listen to future episodes. And if you have a show topic that you'd like to share with me or have a real estate related question that you'd like to ask, I'd love to hear it. You can call or text me at 719-201-5022 or you can reach me via email at Nicole at SellingStPetefl.com. That's N-I-C-O-L-E at S-E-L-L-I-N-G-S-T-P-E-T-E fl.com